Volume two, chapter eighteen of Clayhanger by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eighteen Curiosity. He was afraid that, from some obscure motive of propriety or self-protection, she would bring Janet with her, or perhaps Alicia. On the other hand, he was afraid that she would come alone. That she should come alone seemed to him, in spite of his reason, too brazen. Moreover, if she came alone, would he be equal to the situation? Would he be able to carry the thing off in a manner adequate? He lacked confidence. He desired the moment of her arrival, and yet he feared it. His heart and his brain were all confused together in a turmoil of emotion which he could not analyse or define. He was in love. Love had caught him and had affected his vision so that he no longer saw any phenomenon as it actually was. Neither himself nor Hilda nor the circumstances which were uniting them. He could not follow a train of thought. He could not remain of one opinion, nor in one mind. Within himself he was perpetually discussing Hilda and her attitude. She was marvellous, but was she? She admired him, but did she? She had shown cunning, but was it not simplicity? He did not even feel sure whether he liked her. He tried to remember what she looked like, and he positively could not. The one matter on which he could be sure was that his curiosity was hotly engaged. If he had had to state the case in words to another, he would not have gone further than the word curiosity. He had no notion that he was in love. He did not know what love was. He had not had sufficient opportunity of learning. Nevertheless, the processes of love were at work within him. Silently and magically, by the force of desire and of pride, the refracting glass was being specially ground which would enable him, which would compel him, to see an ideal Hilda when he gazed at the real Hilda. He would not see the real Hilda any more unless some cataclysm should shatter the glass and he might be likened to a prisoner on whom the gate of freedom is shut for ever, or to a stricken sufferer, of whom it is known that he can never rise again and go forth into the fields. He was as somebody to whom the irrevocable had happened, and he knew it not. None knew, none guessed. All day he went his ways, striving to conceal the whirring preoccupation of his curiosity a curiosity which he thought showed a fine masculine dash, and succeeded fairly well. The excellent simple Maggie alone remarked in secret that he was slightly nervous and unnatural, but even she, with all her excellent simplicity, did not divine his victimhood. At six o'clock he was back at the shop from his tea. It was a wet, chill night. On the previous evening he had caught cold, and he was beginning to sneeze, he said to himself that Hilda could not be expected to come on such a night, but he expected her. When the shop clock showed half-past six, he glanced at his watch, which also showed half-past six. Now at any instant she might arrive. The shop door opened, and simultaneously his heart ceased to beat. 
but the person who came in puffing and snorting was his father who stood within the shop while shaking his soaked umbrella over the exterior porch the draught from the shiny dark street and square struck cold and edwin responsively sneezed and darius clayhanger upbraided him for not having worn his overcoat and he replied with foolish unconvincingness that he had got a cold that it was nothing darius grunted his way into the cubicle edwin remained in busy idleness at the right-hand counter stifford was tidying the contents of drawers behind the fancy counter and the fizzing gas burners inevitable accompaniment of night at the period kept watch above under the heat of the stove the damp marks of darius clayhanger's entrance disappeared more quickly than the minutes ran it grew almost impossible for edwin to pass the time at moments when his father was not stirring in the cubicle and stifford happened to be in repose he could hear the ticking of the clock which he could not remember ever having heard before except when he mounted the steps to wind it at a quarter to seven he said to himself that he gave up hope while pretending that he never had hoped and that hilda's presence was indifferent to him if she came not that day she would probably come some other day what could it matter he was very unhappy he said to himself that he should have a long night's reading but the prospect of reading had no savour he said no i shan't go in to see them to-night i shall stay in and nurse my cold and read this was mere futile bravado for the impartial spectator in him though far less clear-sighted and judicial now than formerly foresaw with certainty that if hilda did not come he would call at the orgreaves at five minutes to seven he was miserable he had decided to hope until five minutes to seven he made it seven in despair then there were signs of a figure behind the misty glass of the door the door opened it could not be she impossible that it should be she but it was she she had the air of being a miracle part two his feelings were complex and contradictory flitting about and crossing each other in his mind with astounding rapidity he wished she had not come because his father was there and the thought of his father would intensify his self-consciousness he wondered why he should care whether she came or not after all she was only a young woman who wanted to see a printing works at best she was not so agreeable as janet at worst she was appalling and moreover he knew nothing about her he had a glimpse of her face as with a little tightening of the lips she shut her umbrella what was there in that face judged impartially why should he be to so absurd a degree curious about her he thought how exquisitely delicious it would be to be walking with her by the shore of a lovely lake on a summer evening pale hills in the distance he had this momentary vision by reason of a coloured print of the silver strand of a scottish lock which was leaning in a gilt frame against the artist's materials cabinet and was marked twelve and six during the day he had imagined himself with her in all kinds of beautiful spots and situations but the chief of his sensation was one of exquisite relief she had come he could wreak his hungry curiosity upon her yes she was alone no janet 
no alicia how had she managed it what had she said to the orgreaves that she should have come alone and through the november rain in the night affected him deeply it gave her the quality of a heroine of high adventure it was as though she had set sail unaided in a frail skiff on a formidable ocean to meet him it was inexpressibly romantic and touching she came towards him her face sedately composed she wore a small hat a veil and a mackintosh and black gloves that were splashed with wet certainly she was a practical woman she had said she would come and she had come sensibly but how charmingly protected against the shocking conditions of the journey there is naught charming in a mackintosh and yet there was in this mackintosh something in the contrast between its harshness and her fragility the veil was supremely charming she had half lifted it exposing her mouth the upper part of her flushed face was caged behind the bars of the veil behind those bars her eyes mysteriously gleamed spanish no exaggeration in all this he felt every bit of it honestly as he stood at the counter in thrilled expectancy by virtue of his impassioned curiosity the terraces of granada and the mantillas of senoritas were not more romantic than he had made his father's shop and her dripping mackintosh he tried to see her afresh he tried to see her as though he had never seen her before he tried desperately once again to comprehend what it was in her that piqued him and he could not he fell back from the attempt was she the most wondrous or was she commonplace was she deceiving him or did he alone possess the true insight useless he was baffled far from piercing her soul he could scarcely even see her at all that is with intelligence and it was always so when he was with her he was in a dream a vapour he had no helm his faculties were not under control she robbed him of judgment and then the clear tones of her voice fell on the listening shop good evening mr clayhanger what a night isn't it i hope i'm not too late firm business-like syllables and she straightened her shoulders he suffered he was not happy whatever his feelings he was not happy in that instant he was not happy because he was wrung between hope and fear alike divine but he would not have exchanged his sensations for the extremest felicity of any other person they shook hands he suggested that she should remove her mackintosh she consented he had no idea that the effect of the removal of the mackintosh would be so startling as it was she stood intimately revealed in her frock the mackintosh was formal and defensive the frock was intimate and acquiescent darius blundered out of the cubicle and edwin had a dreadful moment introducing her to darius and explaining their purpose why had he not prepared the ground in advance his pusillanimous cowardice again however the directing finger of god sent a customer into the shop and edwin escaped with his hilda through the aperture in the counter part three 
the rickety building at the back of the premises which was still the main theatre of printing activities was empty save for big james the hour of seven being past big james was just beginning to roll his apron round his waist in preparation for departure this happened to be one of the habits of his advancing age up till a year or two previously he would have taken off his apron and left it in the workshop but now he could not confide it to the workshop he must carry it about him until he reached home and a place of safety for it when he saw edwin and a young lady appear in the doorway he let the apron fall over his knees again as the day was only the second of the industrial week the apron was almost clean and even the office towel which hung on a roller somewhat conspicuously near the door was not offensive a single gas jet burned the workshop was in the languor of repose after toil which had officially commenced at eight a m the perfection of big james's attitude an attitude symbolized by the letting down of his apron helped to put edwin at ease in the original and difficult circumstances good evening mr edwin good evening miss was all that the man actually said with his tongue but the formality of his majestic gestures indicated in the most dignified way his recognition of a sharp difference of class and his exact comprehension of his own role in the affair he stood waiting he had been about to depart but he was entirely at the disposal of the company this is mr yarlett our foreman said edwin and to big james miss lesways has just come to look round hilda smiled big james suavely nodded his head here are some of the types said edwin because a big case was the object nearest him and he glanced at big james in a moment the foreman was explaining to hilda in his superb voice the use of the composing stick and he accompanied the theory by a beautiful exposition of the practice edwin could stand aside and watch hilda listened and looked with an extraordinary air of sympathetic interest and she was so serious so adult but it was the quality of sympathy he thought that was her finest her most attractive it was either that or her proud independence as of a person not accustomed to bend to the will of others or to go to others for advice he could not be sure no her finest quality was her mystery even now as he gazed at her comfortably she baffled him all her exquisite little movements and intonations baffled him of one thing however he was convinced that she was fundamentally different from other women there was she and there was the rest of the sex for appearance's sake he threw in short phrases now and then to which big james by his mere deportment gave the importance of the words of a master i suppose you printers did something special among yourselves to celebrate the four hundredth anniversary of the invention of printing said hilda suddenly glancing from edwin to big james and big james and edwin glanced at one another neither had ever heard of the four hundredth anniversary of the invention of printing in a couple of seconds big james's downcast eye had made it clear that he regarded this portion of the episode as master's business when was that 
let me see edwin foolishly blurted out oh some years ago two or three perhaps four i'm afraid we didn't said edwin smiling oh said hilda slowly i think they made a great fuss of it in london she relented somewhat i don't really know much about it but the other day i happened to be reading the new history of printing you know cranswick's isn't it oh yes edwin concurred though he had never heard of cranswick's new history of printing either he knew that he was not emerging creditably from this portion of the episode but he did not care the whole of his body went hot and then cold as his mind presented the simple question why had she been reading the history of printing could the reason be any other than her interest in himself or was she a prodigy among young women who read histories of everything in addition to being passionate about verse he said that it was ridiculous to suppose that she would read a history of printing solely from interest in himself nevertheless he was madly happy for a few moments and as it were staggered with joy he decided to read a history of printing at once big james came to the end of his expositions of the craft the stove was dying out and the steam boiler cold big james regretted that the larger machines could not be seen in action and that the place was getting chilly edwin began to name various objects that were lying about with their functions but it was evident that the interest of the workshop was now nearly exhausted big james suggested that if miss could make it convenient to call say on the next afternoon she could see the large new columbia in motion edwin seized the idea and beautified it and on this he wavered towards the door and she followed and big james in dignity bowed them forth to the elevated porch and began to rewind his flowing apron once more they pattered down the dark steps now protected with felt roofing and ran across six feet of exposed yard into what had once been mrs nixon's holy kitchen part four after glancing at sundry minor workshops in delicious propinquity and solitude they mounted to the first floor where there was an account-book ruling and binding shop the site of the old sitting-room and the girls bedroom in each chamber edwin had to light a gas and the corridors and stairways were traversed by the ray of matches it was excitingly intricate then they went to the attics because edwin was determined that she should see all there he found the forgotten candle i used to work here he said holding high the candle there was no other place for me to work in they were in his old work attic now piled with stocks of paper wrapped up in posters work what sort of work well reading drawing you know at that very table to be sure there the very table was thick with dust it had been too rickety to deserve removal to the heights of bleak ridge he was touched by the sight of the table now though he saw it at least once every week his existence at the corner of duck square seemed now to have been beautiful and sad seemed to be far off and historic and the attic seemed unhappy in its present humiliation but there's no fireplace murmured hilda i know said edwin but how did you do in winter i did without he had in fact been less of a martyr than those three telling words would indicate 
Nevertheless, it appeared to him that he really had been a martyr, and he was glad. He could feel her sympathy and her quiet admiration vibrating through the air towards him. Had she not said that she had never met anybody like him? He turned and looked at her. Her eyes glittered in the candlelight with tears too proud to fall. Solemn and exquisite bliss. Profound anxiety and apprehension. He was an arena where all the sensations of which a human being is capable struggled in blind confusion. Afterwards he could recall her visit only in fragments. The next fragment that he recollected was the last. She stood outside the door in her Mackintosh. The rain had ceased. She was going. Behind them he could feel his father in the cubicle and Stifford arranging the toilette of the shop for the night. "'Please don't come out here,' she enjoined, half in entreaty, half in command. Her solicitude thrilled him. He was on the step, she was on the pavement, so that he looked down at her with the sodden, light-reflecting slope of Duck Square for a background to her. "'Oh, I'm all right.' "'Well, you'll come tomorrow afternoon?' "'No, you aren't all right. "'You've got a cold and you'll make it worse. "'And this isn't the end of winter. "'It's the beginning. "'I think you're very liable to colds.' "'No,' he said, enchanted beside himself in an ecstasy of pleasure. "'I shall expect you tomorrow about three. "'Thank you,' she said simply. "'I'll come.' "'They shook hands. "'Now do go in.' "'She vanished round the corner.' All evening he neither read nor spoke. End of chapter 18, volume 2